This story, this story is going to break your heart. This story, I know I said it two weeks ago, but this story is one of the hardest cases I've ever had to research and write. But in July 2021, in Bridge End, Wales, a case would hit the headlines that seemed too senseless, too tragic to be true. It would create an uproar in a country, in a world already damaged by a pandemic. A pandemic that allowed too many abused children to slip through the cracks and were murdered during a time when no one could see what was going on. This brutal murder of a defenceless five-year-old at the hands of those who should have protected him. A sweet little boy who was known to child services, but they would also fail to protect him. Another child whose life was lost because of a system too broken. By society, he would rather turn a blind eye than get involved. Another child whose life ended far too soon. This is Logan's story. Logan Muangi was a happy and loving boy, but small for his age and vulnerable. Weighing only three stone, he was helpless as his stepdad, John Cole, and 13-year-old stepbrother, Craig Mulligan, beat him mercilessly with his own mother's encouragement. The three of them plotted to deceive police after dumping Logan's body in the nearby river Ogmore. They pretended to be a distraught family, but South Wales Police thought otherwise. All right, John. I'm arresting you on suspicion of the murder of Logan. What? We're going to arrest you as well. All right. Hold on. Calm down. Why am I getting arrested? Tell me now what happened to my son. In custody, Angharad Williamson continued with the act. And then I woke up and Logan wasn't there. Neither Williamson or Cole could explain how Logan was found with injuries likened to those that would be caused by a high-speed car crash. He had 56 external injuries, as well as a fractured shoulder and significant trauma to the brain. Confronted with the mounting evidence against them, they turned on each other. He was on the floor and she's rather than grabbing him's body. She's picked him up by his T-shirt, it's ripped. None of it is true. Why would John lie? Because John's a liar. Because he doesn't want to get done for murder. I wish I never let this man into my my son's life. Logan Mwengi was born March 15th, 2016, at the Princess of Wales Hospital in Bridge and Wales, to parents Unhag Williamson and Benjamin Mwengi. Ben would later describe Logan's birth as, quote, the happiest time in my life, unquote. Unfortunately, the couple's relationship would break down shortly after Logan's birth and the two would separate. Due to work opportunities, Ben would have to move to Essex, England, meaning it would be hard for him to see the little boy. And it would seem all contact would stop until 2019 when Logan was three years old. I would assume this would be because of the distance, with Ben being in Essex and Williamson and Logan being in Wales. It also could be because Williamson denied Ben access to his child, which would be the case after Ben's final visit with Logan. April 2019. Williamson took Logan to visit his father in Essex. This would be the last time Ben would see his son. Ben would discover during this trip his ex had just started a new relationship with a man, John Cole. The pair meeting at a local pub. They hit it off right away and he quickly moved in with Williamson and the children. But after this visit, Williamson cut off all contact and denied Ben access to Logan, 
which is so heartbreaking because from everything I have read, Ben did want to be a father to Logan. He wanted to be a major part in his life. But unfortunately, this was not meant to be, and his mother made it near on impossible for that to happen. After this point, Logan would be living with his younger brother, his mother, Ungard Williamson, and his mother's boyfriend, John Cole. They all lived in a two-bedroom ground-floor apartment in Sarn in Bridgend, South Wales. Logan would later be described so lovingly by everyone who knew him. He was cheerful and chatty, active and energetic. He was attending Tondu Primary School, where his teachers would say Logan was, quote, a loving, sweet-natured child who was polite, unquote, and that he was always smiling, that his smile could light up a classroom. Logan loved a game of hide-and-seek or pretending to be superheroes. His favourite character was always Spider-Man. It is not clear if Williamson knew of Cole's criminal background prior to him moving in and being around her children. If she did, I really hate this woman more than I already do. Cole's criminal history was not good, and it wasn't for small misdemeanours. Cole's previous criminal charges included assault, burglary, drug possession, obstructing a police officer, blackmail, I could go on and on. In 2017, he would be jailed for three years on a burglary and obstructing the course of justice charge for intimidating a witness. He really was not a good person. Cole was also a racist, something I didn't say earlier, but Ben Mwangi had Kenyan heritage, and Logan did reflect his father's appearance. Logan was truly Ben's mini-me. This triggered Cole, and it seemed to really play a part in how he interacted with the child, calling the little boy Coco Puff, a racial slur towards his skin colour. Cole would tell his friends he didn't like the child. Other times, he would make Logan do push-ups until he collapsed. Neighbours would later report seeing Cole forcing this sweet little boy to stand outside dressed in only pyjamas for hours, regardless of the weather. And this only got worse when he became obsessed with the idea Williamson was having an affair with Logan's father, which is completely bizarre to me. We know for a fact that Logan barely saw his father and never saw him after Williamson and Cole moved in together. How this affair could actually happen internationally, it really just doesn't make sense and it seems to be just another excuse to mistreat Logan. This isolation of Logan didn't just stop with his father. Cole refused to let Logan see his grandmother, Williamson's own mother. Why this was, it's not clear. Was it a control move? Was it a way to hide the abuse and neglect of this little boy? Probably. Because the abuse of Logan started almost immediately after Cole moved in with the family. What began with name-calling would turn into physical violence. Cole would find any excuse to physically discipline the boy, often hitting him about the head. And when Logan would go to his mother for comfort, to ask her why this was happening, Williamson would become angry at him too. She would yell at Logan, leaving the little boy confused as to why everything had changed so much, why his mother wasn't acting like his mother anymore. One particular incident, Williamson would become pregnant very early on in the relationship with Cole's baby. This only seemed to aggravate Cole more, because he didn't want his baby to be involved with this other child he didn't like. He would not allow Logan anywhere near his baby sibling, even going as far as accusing Logan of trying to suffocate and kill the baby, which given everything everyone says about Logan, 
This never happened. It was just an excuse for Cole to hurt Logan and try to get him out of the house and his life. This abuse all became much worse when another person joined the household and joined in on the abuse of Logan, Cole's stepson, 14-year-old Craig Mulligan. 13-year-old Craig Mulligan had only been allowed to move into the house by a family court judge five days earlier, despite the fact he'd already threatened to kill Logan, who'd only been taken off the child's protection register the previous month. At the station, he was equally a part of the lies and deception. Now, Mulligan wasn't technically Cole's stepson, nor were they biologically related. But Cole had been briefly involved with Mulligan's mother when he was about nine months old, and he just stayed in the boy's life. Mulligan became obsessed with Cole. Obsessed. He mimicked his every move, even shaving his head to look more like him. And given what we know about Cole, he wasn't exactly a great role model to have. And initially, Mulligan wasn't named in the case. He was known only as Boy X in the lead-up and during the trial, because he was only 14 and innocent until proven guilty had to be respected. It would be highly damaging to name and shame a child for murdering another child, and then it was proven he wasn't involved. Because you know there is a certain percentage of the population who wouldn't respect the outcome and would go after him anyway. But after the trial, the judge allowed the boy to be named, because why should he now be allowed to hide from what he did? As the prosecution would later state, quote, his young age was no object to his involvement in the death and cover-up in which we say he took full part, unquote. I would say not only did he take full part, but he was one of the main aggressors. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. When Cole first moved in with Williamson and the children, Mulligan wasn't with him. He was spending a six-month stint in foster care after he was assaulted by his mother. Mulligan was known to have anger problems himself. He would regularly have outbursts at school, he was verbally abusive to teachers, and he would punch and kick other children. He would punch holes in walls and doors, and he would lash out for any sort of attention. It was recommended that he be enrolled in martial arts to try and control and contain his outbursts. And Mulligan was good, but it only seemed to ignite his aggression. Whilst in foster care, Mulligan threatened to kill his foster family and spoke of killing Logan when he returned to live with Cole. He knew Cole hated the little boy, so by association, he hated him too. He became fascinated with death, playing violent video games, and he tried to get other children to play a murder game that involved putting them inside black bin bags. He hid knives under his pillow. He sprayed deodorant into the foster family dog's eyes, and he strung this poor dog up by his hind legs. This foster family were living in hell. I truly feel for them. This child was obviously psychologically disturbed. Maybe this was environmental, because abuse and violence was all he ever knew. And it seemed those who could make a difference, they didn't. And only five days before Logan's death, Mulligan was allowed to move in with Cole Williamson and two very young children. In the year before Logan's death was when the abuse against him really seemed to escalate, and we are talking serious abuse. Broken bones, bruises, burns and cuts. August 16, 2020, four-year-old Logan was taken to hospital by his mother. She claimed she heard a, quote, series of very loud bangs, unquote, and realised that Logan had fallen down the stairs. 
that she thought his shoulder was dislocated and had twisted the boy's arm to try and pop it back into place. Though she did admit this was probably the wrong thing to do. But his shoulder was not dislocated. The doctors found his arm to be actually broken. And they were smart enough to question her version of events. A referral was made to social services and the police were called. And all Williamson did was relay the story to police how Logan accidentally fell down the stairs. But then she would change her story on January 21st, 2021. Williamson would call 999 to report he was actually Mulligan who pushed Logan down the stairs, breaking his arm. Bizarrely, no action was taken by police against Mulligan, which blows my mind. Here is a teen with serious issues, with a history of violence, and now he has seriously harmed a five-year-old and nothing happens. This does lead to Logan and his siblings to be placed in the Child Protection Registry. For reasons that aren't clear, Logan's father Ben was never contacted about the suspected abuse of his son, and he never got to fight for custody never getting the chance to do something to try and save his son's life. So, a social worker is assigned to the case, and there are requirements there. Regular visits and checkups on the children. And during this time, there are more substantial injuries to Logan. In May 2021, Logan is seen with a burn mark on his neck that apparently was caused by him leaning against a hot tap. I call bullshit on this. Emma Kenny brings this up in her YouTube video on this case. But as she said, for a burn to occur, there needs to be pressure on the skin against the hot surface for a period of time. In reality, if Logan leant against the hot tap, it would have been so painful he would have moved away straight away. It would have hurt, but it wouldn't have left a significant burn mark. But the social worker took Williamson's story as truth, and no further action was taken. However, what would come out later during the murder trial, it was in fact Logan's own mother who caused the burn mark to his neck, that Williamson held a hot teaspoon against her son's neck as a form of punishment. Again, for reasons that aren't clear, in June 2021, Logan and his siblings were removed from the Child Protection Registry. Social workers simply deemed them not to be at significant risk of harm. But if they had only spoken to Logan's teachers at Tondu Primary School, they would have been aware this was very far from the truth, and the situation was now very dire for the little boy. Wendy John, the learning support officer at the school, described Logan as a, quote, happy, caring, loving and happy, intelligent child, unquote. However, in the months before his death, quote, I noticed his stomach got worse and noticed he had lost weight and had dark circles around his eyes. Unquote. Logan was tiny at the time of his death, being just three foot five and weighing only three stone eleven, or fifty-two pounds. In the months before his death, Logan had regressed and was wetting himself, something he hadn't done in years, and he had started to self-harm. He was pinching and biting himself all in an effort to try and deal with what was happening to him. This child was five years old. I don't understand how the fact this baby is self-harming did not set off alarm bells in people's heads. I understand the social workers didn't contact the school, but why wasn't the school reporting this? Why wasn't anyone reporting this? I get we, as a society, sometimes turns our head when we see something that is uncomfortable because we don't want to get involved. 
But this really needs to change. We need to change. I would rather child services be at my front door, checking in because a neighbour reporting me yelling at my child once, than ignoring what could be child abuse. That little inconvenience for me might mean saving a child's life in another situation. If we see or hear something that is concerning, we should be saying something. Because if we do, children like Logan, like Portia Bennett, like Zachary Sabin, like Thomas Valva, like Kaylee Jade Priest, I could literally go on and on. But these children would get a fighting chance at getting out of these situations. Saying something could literally save their life. No one did for Logan. And only a month after being taken off the child protection registry, he would be dead. The beginning of the end of five-year-old Logan Mwangi's life was an argument over who spilled a drink on a stereo. His mother, Ang Harrod Williamson, told a court that row between her and Logan's stepfather, Jay Cole, escalated quickly. Jay suggested the little boy found the argument funny, and when Logan smirked, she claimed the 40-year-old punched him twice in the stomach. She sobbed while describing seeing her son fall to the floor. Giving evidence at her trial, Logan's mother said, I'd had enough. He's crossed a line hurting Logan. Asked if she had told Cole she wanted to leave him, she said, I told him that a bit later. She claimed, he said, if we break up because of Logan, I'm going to kill him. The day after the attack, she said Logan did not appear to be in pain. She put him to bed that night, and when she woke up early the next day, he was gone. Now, some time after this, after Logan was taken off the Child Protection Registry in June and his death on July 31st, 2021, he would break his collarbone. But neither Williamson nor Cole would take this little boy for medical attention, leaving him in all sorts of pain and discomfort. Cole would later claim in court that Logan had suffered this injury by falling over in the kitchen, though I would have to question this. Breaking a collarbone isn't easy, and I think it's clear from what we have learned today was far more likely that Cole or Williamson or Mulligan were the perpetrators here. July 20th, 2021, 11 days before his body was found, Logan allegedly tested positive for COVID. I say allegedly because there was never actually any evidence this was the case. I mean, it very well could be. But knowing how Logan was treated, it is also very likely that Williamson and Cole were using COVID and isolation as an excuse to hide the abuse of Logan. But during this period, Logan was shut in his bedroom with a baby gate stopping him from leaving. As prosecutor Carolyn Rees later said in trial, quote, he had been kept like a prisoner in his small bedroom in the flat, a room likened by Williamson as a dungeon, unquote. July 29, 2021, and this is all according to Williamson now, so I don't know how much weight you can put in all of this. But since it's the only version we have, because Logan isn't here anymore to tell us what really happened to him, it's what we have to go with. According to Williamson, a drink is spilt on the stereo, which leads to an argument between her and Cole. This argument escalated dramatically, and Logan is, of course, the one who gets the blame for this spilt drink. It is now that Cole turns his anger towards the five-year-old, claiming that he is smirking and enjoying seeing his mother and him fighting. Again, according to Williamson, it is now that Cole, along with Mulligan, attack this sweet little boy, who has already been through so damn much. They drag him into the hallway and tell him if he stutters, he'll be punished. Now, my youngest sometimes stutters, 
This increases when he's overly excited or scared. The more pressure the child feels like they're under, the more they will stutter. And Cole would have known this. So when Logan stutters, Cole punches him in the stomach, knocking him to the floor. This cycle continues, with Cole and Mulligan taking it in turns to beat on Logan. One time, Mulligan slams the little boy's head into the floor. Williamson claims she is screaming at them to stop and running out of the house to get help, but there is no one around. Again, this is Williamson's version of events. A judge would later dismiss this as factual. Said Mrs Justice Jefford, quote, This was made up after the event to protect yourself and shift the blame. You had an opportunity to protect your son from further injury and you did nothing. Unquote. July 30th, 2021. On this afternoon, who would visit but the family social worker, Deborah Williams? This was an unscheduled visit, so Williamson and Cole wouldn't have been prepared. The perfect opportunity to catch them and what they had done to an obviously seriously injured Logan, but no. Williamson would tell her she couldn't come into the home because Logan had tested positive for COVID and he was in self-isolation. Deborah would spend 20 minutes with Williamson discussing welfare payments they would now be entitled to because Mulligan was in their care, never once even asking to place eyes on Logan. Deborah would later state she did not see or hear Logan in that 20-minute period she was there. I mean, was he even conscious at this time? It's not clear when Logan actually died. It could have already been too late. And that brings us to July 31st, 2021. According to Cole, another reliable source, but Williamson wakes him up. She is hysterical and crying that Logan had died. Cole and Mulligan would then be caught on a number of CCTV cameras from neighbouring houses at 2.43am, carrying a sports bag with Logan's little battered and broken body inside, about 250 metres or three and a half feet away from their apartment. Now, Mulligan would later deny knowing that Logan was in the sports bag. He claimed Cole was just dumping rubbish at the river. Because why not? Because that makes all the sense in the world when Williamson is screaming Logan is dead and it's basically the middle of the night still. And where Mulligan's oblivious story falls apart, looking for Logan's dinosaur pyjama top, which must have fallen out of the bag, and then them taking it back towards the wooded area near the river, where it would later be found basically ripped in half. Later that morning at quarter to six, Williamson makes a phone call to 999. She is claiming Logan has vanished throughout the night and the garden gate was now opened. That she believes he has been abducted. She is again hysterical, hyperventilating, screaming Logan's name. Williamson and Cole can be heard during this phone call asking neighbours if they had seen anything, begging anyone who would listen to find her son. Please, please, please help me, please. Where are you? My son, I'm not here. I'm working in here. Okay. Help Take me, a breath. Please. Take a breath because I can't understand you when you're crying. Where are you? Five. Lower lamps and Freddy's the song. Lower what, sorry? Lower lamps and Freddy's the song. Send someone he is not here. Okay. Who's not there? My son, he's five. He's not here. Okay, take a breath. When did you see him last? I sent him in the bed last night and I just got up for my son and he's the other one's not here. Logan! Okay, take a breath. He's five and he's gone. Can you see it? Logan! Logan! I need, I need you to speak to me, not just shout. I know it's really full on and it's really scary. I need you to tell me. 
what's his name? Is his name Logan? <laughs> Logan, Logan Williams. Okay. And he's five, is he five, did you say? He's five, please. Okay. Tell me what he looks like, please. He's a little mixed race boy. He's just got his spidey pajamas on. Where is she? Where? Okay, is anybody else there with you? Any other adults? Yeah, my partner. He's okay. looking out. Right. Are any of the doors or windows open? What well, doors, windows, what's open? Someone tell me what. Take a breath. I, I know that it's terrifying. Right now, I need to try. Breathe so I can get the information I need. My back, gate, my back gate is open. My back gate is okay, open. Back gate, where does the back gate lead, it, lead to? I don't know what the road's called. That's it's fine. The... It leads onto a road as opposed to a field or anything like that, does it? Okay. I'm, walking, I'm running right. up it now. It's concrete. Okay. What's your name? What's, you don't look at him now. What's your name? I need to know your name a second. I'm Harrod. Okay, I'm Harrod. I really need you to just take a breath for a second, okay? Because you're starting to hyperventilate. I know that this is very, very scary. I need what? you to stay in the house. So who's run out after Logan? My fiance. My, my partner. Your partner has. Okay. So... Dad's gone out looking, yeah? What's Dad's name? John Cole. He's stepdad, but virtually dad. For this performance, which is worthy of an Oscar, the prosecution would later state, quote, Her distress in that call is completely manufactured and manipulative to cover up her involvement in Logan's death, unquote. He's unconscious! Why is he unconscious? Listen, I don't know. I don't know. Right now... If he's unconscious, he needs me. He needs he warm needs clothes. He needs mum. He's got blankets. He needs got blankets, look. okay? I feel so useless, Dad. I know. This is all my fault. Police would arrive quickly on the scene to find Williamson still screaming inside their house and Cole being stepfather of the year, scouring the neighbourhood for the missing child. There is CCTV footage out there of Colin Mulligan walking around the neighbourhood calling Logan's name. All the while, Williamson is falling to the floor, saying how much her baby needs her and what if he is cold out there, that he needs her to look after him and bring him warm clothes, how she failed him as a mother. Which, for the record, yes, you did. As one mother to another, you truly did fail your child and you do not deserve the title of mother. Why weren't you there when he needed you? Why didn't you call emergency services when there was still time to save Logan's life? But you didn't. You protected yourself and your partner when you should have protected the one person who loved you more than anything in the world, despite what you did to him, despite what you allowed to be done to him. Just before dawn, less than an hour after police received the 999 call, they would find Logan, wearing his dinosaur pyjama pants and Spider-Man t-shirt on the banks of the River Ogmore, discarded like the piece of rubbish Mulligan claims he thought he was. He was found in the fetal position. He was cold and stiff and his eyes were wide open. 
Logan would be taken to the Princess of Wales Hospital, where he would be officially confirmed dead. An autopsy was conducted and his injuries were far worse than anyone could imagine. Logan had suffered a total of 56 catastrophic injuries, injuries that would be later described as comparable to those caused by a high-speed car crash or falling from a high-rise building. Home Office Forensic Pathologist Dr John Williams said an injury to the first part of the small intestine which Logan had was generally rare in children. But according to studies, it's found they are, quote, commonly recorded in abused children, unquote. Other internal injuries included a large tear to his liver and another to his bowel. He had 14 bruises and grazes to his head and neck, dozens more on his body, legs, feet, arms and hands. But what Dr Williams determined to be Logan's cause of death would be from severe blunt force trauma to the head. Neuropathologist Dr George Lamy examined Logan's brain. The trauma had caused widespread bleeding and swelling, and there would have been at least several hours between the fatal blow and Logan's death. And that, quote, it is possible there were more than one episode of head injury, unquote. So Logan may have been hit or slammed or punched in the head more than once. The day Logan was found, his father Ben was visited by police in Essex. He initially thought it had something to do with his sick father, but when they said that wasn't the case, he begged them, quote, please don't tell me this has something to do with Logan, unquote. Could Ben have done more to get custody of Logan, to see more of his son? Possibly. Probably. We don't know the details here. Family court can be extremely trying on not only the parents, but the children involved. And it's expensive. Maybe Ben did try, but wasn't getting anywhere. So thought if Logan was happy with his new family, maybe it was for the best. But what we do know for a fact is what family and friends have said, and that Ben adored his son and wanted to be his dad. And when he had learned that was now gone, Ben became hysterical and he fell to the floor. Now, of course, it was immediately evident to police that Williamson, Cole and Mulligan were all in some way involved in this boy's death, and they were all more than eager to point fingers at each other to save themselves. The true selfishness of these people, it astounds me. They would all face charges of murder and perverting the course of justice, to which Williamson and Mulligan pled not guilty to both charges. But Cole accepting the perverting the course of justice charge, possibly because he knew they had actual footage of him carrying Logan's body to the river, but not guilty to the murder charge. Williamson's cellmate, Joanne Brooks, who shared a cell with her for more than two months, Brooks would claim that Williamson put on an elaborate show of emotion for prison staff, but dropped it when they weren't looking. Quote, Prior to us being put in our rooms at night, Angie had collapsed to the floor with some kind of emotion. When the police officer walked away, she was basically eating snacks and laughing at what was on the television. Unquote. February 2022. Cole, Williamson and Mulligan went to trial in Cardiff Crown Court. In the early days, Judge Mrs Justice Jefford paused the hearing so jury members who were visibly upset could have a break. And instead of showing photos or videos of Logan after death, instead they used computer-generated images to show his injuries. And on April 21, 2022, the verdict had been returned. Enghard Williamson, John Cole and Craig Mulligan were all found guilty for little Logan Mwangi's murder, all receiving life sentences. 
for her role in her son's death, for not doing anything to stop the abuse towards him, and in my opinion, a participant in the violence towards him. Williamson will serve a minimum sentence of 28 years in prison. For the years of abuse towards Logan, his murder and disposing of Logan's body, Cole will serve a minimum sentence of 29 years in prison. And Mulligan, who knows what else, what terror he brought upon Logan. Mulligan will serve a jail sentence of at least 15 years, meaning he'll be released at 30 years old. Hopefully a changed man, but that remains to be seen. Throughout sentencing, Williamson cried and held her head down. She would be the only one to show any emotion. And I don't mean to be jaded and hard, but I really believe Williamson was upset not because of what happened to Logan, but because she got caught, and now had to face most of the rest of her life in prison. Those tears were only for herself, in my opinion. Neither Cole nor Mulligan showed any emotion during sentencing. Ben cried when reading out his victim impact statement, quote, My dreams of Logan are so vivid. Logan comes to tell me he is okay and to check if I'm okay. He runs into my arms and I hold him tight, but then he slowly disappears until he is no longer in my arms. I wake up screaming and crying. I find it difficult to go back to sleep. I don't want to go back to sleep because I don't want to experience these dreams because they are so painful. Unquote. Today, a review found taking action could have protected Logan, and it outlined what it said may be systemic issues with safeguarding children. We apologise for the failures in our systems that could have presented earlier opportunities to recognise abuse and to protect Logan. We fully accept the recommendations and actions in the review. The fact that we were unable to protect Logan will always remain a source of great sadness and we are deeply sorry that our safeguarding and child protection endeavours did not prevent his death. Among the criticisms made in the report, in which Logan is referred to as Child T, it states, Injuries observed on Child T were not shared with services that could have taken appropriate action to safeguard him. It also says he was seemingly ignored by various agencies, including the council and police. Child T's voice was not heard, it says. There was no knowledge of the reality of his lived experience. November 24th, 2022. An extended child practice review was commissioned by the CWN Safeguarding Board, and they found there may have been systematic issues rather than, quote, isolated instances of individual error or poor practice, unquote. Regarding the handling of Logan's case, the board ruled Logan's voice had not been heard and there was, quote, no knowledge of the reality of his lived experience, unquote. Basically, they admitted there was some recognition they knew of Logan's home situation. But because of the way child protection and other government agencies are organised, there were not significant procedures in place to appreciate or accept how dire Logan's situation was. And my words cannot go close to really unpack this. We all know just how overworked child protection workers are. I've worked closely with them during my career, and individually they aren't to blame. They are restricted by policy and procedures and red tape. There are times you want to basically kidnap these children to save them. You see these beautiful and innocent children in these horrid situations and you can't do anything. You write your reports and you make your visits, but at the end of the day, if you are told case closed, you really never see these kids again, even though you know it's not case closed. 
This is one reason why I had to get out of that industry, the frustration and heartache. It becomes overwhelming. It explains the high turnover of staff of child protection and social service workers. The Deming report concluded health professionals and local authority staff missed a series of opportunities to protect Logan. There was one occasion in particular that was highlighted in the report, when a paediatric doctor took 31 photos of extensive bruising that Logan had suffered at the hands of his family during a hospital visit. But, quote, no evidence that information about these injuries was shared with agencies outside of the health board, unquote. The head of social services of Bridgend Council, Claire Merchant, said she was deeply sorry that staff had not been able to protect Logan. Quote, We are deeply sorry that our safeguarding and child protection measures did not prevent his death. Unquote. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, Please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice, and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu.